Capcom presents. Azel, as the newest member of the Four Devas, you had better have a good reason for calling us here. I've discovered the one in possession of the God Hand. I can feel it. Look at his left arm. He is a God Hand. God Hand is so blasé. Call me the Devil Hand. I don't care what you call yourself. I don't trust dirty humans. <laughs> Your kind is so incredibly stubborn. Humans will be nothing but worker bees creating honey in our paradise. Hey everybody, welcome to our paradise. <laughs> so uh, this is Brelston here from Capcom Unity along with... Greg Mann, also from Capcom Unity. And this is our second episode... Second comes right after one. Woo, second comes two. right after first. They say second is always the hardest because you got to follow up that <laughs> the the hype of the, yeah. the, the deafening hype of the original episode. Um, yeah, it's, uh, Seth is as usual traveling abroad, so he's not part of this episode. And Oz is weird. Uh, Seth and for some reason all of my family are simultaneously in Australia. Like weird a coincidence. Are they talking about you? I they would only assume. Yeah. This is an elaborate ruse just to go talk crap about you. It's yeah. I can't imagine they're actually in Australia. It's so <laughs> random. <laughs> Together, but uh, what was bringing us in like this? Uh, the, each episode we wanted to do an appreciation thing, which we'll get to later in the show. But the vampire man, who kind of <laughs> sounds like Jim Varney. <laughs> he does. Uh, so, so what, but what is that? Yeah, so that's uh, that's a scene from God Hand, which uh, if you are a regular Unity goer, you've probably gathered by now is uh, one of my favorite games, and I can't stop raving about it. Which you'll have your allotted raving time. I will rave a little later in the show. Uh, compared to last week, I mean, this show's a little lighter, I think, overall because uh, our first episode was the announcement of Resident Evil Six. It was a lot of new cross Tekken players uh, or new character announced. Um, we each three of us went introduced ourselves and kind of went through uh, our spiel of who we are in our history with not just the company but just games in general. So the first episode uh, should be on iTunes soon, if not already. Um, Cap Community official podcast, um, brilliantly named, <laughs> uh, just rolls right off the tongue. If you're a robot, yeah. and uh, <laughs> yeah, so yeah, compared to that, we don't have as many announcements this time, but uh, generally keeping up our every two weeks episode things. So. Uh, with that in mind, the biggest news right now is Revelations. Is uh, We're kind of in between the weeks of release. It came out in Japan and Europe last week, and then it hits the U.S. on the 7th, which is this coming Tuesday. Yay! And uh, both of us have finished it. Um, I'm actually going through it a third time now, now that we got the retail copies in. And yeah, like the reviews have been good, and I've, it's one of the games I've been happy uh, after I played it, I was yeah. like, "Okay, cool." Like, you know, I wasn't sure because uh, when I was in, still in the press, uh, there wasn't a lot to see or say about it yet. Mm -hmm. It was just, "Oh, there's the 3DS Resident Evil game." Oh, but it's not the Mercenaries 3D game. Wait, which one is it? And so, yeah. like, I remember even at E3 last year, I had an appointment, and it was like, "Wait, which one am I seeing?" Because it was still not quite clear what was going on yet. Yeah, it was yeah. just like, "Oh, there's a Resident Evil game." But then, as it turns out, what bore out throughout the rest of 2011 was, "Oh, yeah, actually, this is a major entry. This is a, like the real deal." And it totally is like it's, and the reviews uh, reflect that. Like it, yeah. it's a full size Resident Evil game. The original concept was not a floating mansion, <laughs> which was a joke from last time. That uh, like, <laughs> you can't see the facial reactions of everybody. It's harder to tell, I guess, that yeah. it's a joke. But that was Seth pulling our legs. Yes, collectively. But yeah, what did, like what were your thoughts overall of Revelations? Because yeah. it was super fun. You know, uh, 
it is a portable game, which uh, I guess there are some people that are immediately kind of turned off by that. They're like, no, I want a console game. But it's, right. it feels just like a console game. It's right. huge and it's gorgeous. And, yeah. you know. Yeah, the campaign alone is like a good, like, eight to ten hours yeah. of, of just story mode getting, you know, main, yeah, yeah. main story. And I almost like that it's a portable game because you, you feel it's like you're kind of huddled, huddled up with it, you know? And yeah. I st- even going through the third time, because uh, there was maybe two or three months in between the last time I played it. But yeah, it was, uh, I had forgotten a couple of the jump scares and yeah. uh, not not even jump scares, just things that happen in the game. And I actually forgotten. It's like, it's the first time I've actually been scared by Resident Evil game in quite some time. Yeah, I had the and same thought. Just kind of a moment of like claustrophobia and dread and like, oh man, I am actually running out of ammo. And yeah. there's still a lot of, uh, you know, action scenes because Chris is definitely taking that turn uh, via five and via six. Like you can see like, He's taking a more active role in trying to push back the whole B.O.W. Yeah. thing that's taking over the world. But, uh, you know, not everyone else is going that route. So Jill has a little bit more kind of cl- old, old school Resident Evil vibe for, mm-hmm. for me. Um, but I guess as far as the plot point goes, I don't want to like go through the story and talk about all that. because The U.S. still hasn't had time to really get and digest it. Mm-hmm. Even though I'm sure if you look at YouTube by now, <laughs> it's probably everywhere. But whatever. Do not look at YouTube. Do not look <laughs> at YouTube. Do not turn to another channel. Um, the big thing for the the story mode is that, as near as I could tell, and like this is where uh, you know I, I feel like I've got my Resident Evil lore down. Mm-hmm. Uh, not not every like indi- itty bitty detail of like this character's history with this character and right. stuff in like all of the uh, you know notes that are laying around, like getting into the Trevors and all that, yeah. the, the family and all that like details that like getting that specific. But like this, as far as I can tell, was the first like major fully public outbreak. That the that the Resident Evil world as a whole, like, there's no denying it anymore. Like, yeah, uh, this terror, this floating city of Terra Grigia is invaded and attacked by Veltro, a terrorist organization. Yeah, and under no uncertain terms, like uh, hunters and virus and all this stuff, and it totally infects the city, and they end up having to like wipe the city out. Which all this is like within the first <laughs> ten minutes of the <laughs> game. True. So like, this isn't some huge spoiler. This is like story. Yeah, introduction I mean, level stuff. It really just le- does lend to the feeling that this is a truly big game. It's, it's a big game, but it also like sets the stage for six, which is yeah. like the global like this is a worldwide outbreak. Like this is like Revelations is kind of like how did the world learn about this? Because they knew something happened in Raccoon City. Mm-hmm. They knew something went down, and then it was weird, and that there were rumors or whatever. But like a full on expose, that's part of six as well with the president, yep. like. A full-on, like, no-nonsense, there were monsters. They were made by this. Mm -hmm. They caused this problem. Here is what happened. Like, absolute truth, like, bore out to the world. Like, that's what Revelations is about. This is about the first, like, oh, no. And then it's told through a lot of, like, crisscrossing storylines, and you get a little backstory, playing flashbacks, going back and forth through time. Um, Only in story, not, like, literally jumping in a pod and going (laughs) back in time. It's not like that, but... You get a good sense of like this pretty big story, and again, all told on a handheld, and it was actually yeah. really cool. It's re- like a huge, huge game for a 3DS and a showpiece uh, game, um, which is again all all reflected in, re- in the reviews. Yeah, it's one of the more diverse RE titles as well. Like, yeah, you really do jump around. Yep. Um, I would say uh, one thing's to note is that the price uh, was always was 49.99 for quite a while. Mm-hmm. I think as of like maybe September last year, it was right around when I started. It was announced that it was going to be 50 bucks, and I was like, well, that seems expensive. Yeah. But it's because of the file size. Like, I mean, that's that's something that kind of even goes back to back in the day when games were still all on cartridges and the cartridge mm-hmm. prices that kept escalating in the mid in the early '90s, where you'd walk in to buy a new Super NES or Genesis game and it's getting into seventy dollars in 1994 money. 
Yeah. Uh, let alone the eighty dollars when you got into in sixty four era. Like the more memory you pack on a physical thing, it just gets more expensive. You know, when when you use a, a big a, a bigger uh, card for revelations, it's going to raise the price. But then, ever since they announced that, they were like, well, let's you know let's try to figure out a way to, if we can bring that back down. So you know, after weeks of like talking and getting that sorted out, they we were able to announce uh, a week ago, uh, late January, that it's actually going to be thirty nine ninety nine after all. I was already kind of like, I know it's not a it's a hard thing to say. This game is worth fifty dollars. We trust, like, trust us. Yeah, it's worth fifty bucks. Like, that's a hard thing to say without playing it and experiencing it yourself. To mm-hmm. you should make that decision. But at thirty nine ninety, it's like yeah. yes, absolutely. Like, there's no. Now I feel totally. Yeah, fine. yeah. It's the icing on the cake, and it yeah. kind of makes our job a little easier too. Yeah, and I thought I just thought that was that was a good piece of news to, to have. Totally good piece of news. Um, also, the question as to whether you should play it with a Circle Pad Pro or not. I've actually gone through it twice without, and uh-huh. I'm going through it again on my third time without. And I actually only played it with for maybe like 20 minutes back at the Gamers Day we had in October. Yeah. And I thought it was okay. I, I liked it with the Circle Pad, uh, mainly because it gave the 3DS a little bit extra width. It mm-hmm. made it more comfortable to hold, and mm-hmm. I, having that extra camera control was nice. But Resident Evil is not a game that like that I use the camera a whole lot in. Right. So if you don't have it or don't have access to it or it's sold out or whatever, like don't, don't feel like it, it, you're missing out or like it's crippling oh, totally. the game. I mean, it's it, absolutely playable. Like it's, I think always intended to be without. Yeah. I mean, anyone who's played RE4, exactly. It, it controls just like that. You know, you didn't very use similar. The right yeah. stick. I mean, you can, you can still control the camera by putting your finger like on the touch screen and you can kind of move the camera with a bit of freedom yeah, yeah, yeah. if you feel the need. But like as you know, most Resident Evil games, you don't really need to be moving. You don't need to zip the camera around a lot. Totally. But the circle pad does add. Uh, it's a cool option. Um, so mm-hmm. that's there as well. And then uh, the difference between third person and first person aiming, it, I think the default in the game is first, so that when you hold R, yep. you get like just Jill's arms right, come right. up, uh, or like just her wrists kind of. But you can also go in the menus and switch it back to third person standard RE4, RE5 style mm-hmm. uh, viewing, which I'm more comfortable with. Um, right, but right. I mean, they're both in there to see whichever one you like. But mm-hmm. I think uh, just me being uh, cantankerous and <laughs> resisting change. I was, yeah. Now, in a voice not too dissimilar from the zombie uh, vampire guy in the opening, <laughs> it's just I don't like third person views better. <laughs> Which man, you can use that voice for many things. Well, it's all I got. <laughs> um, that's kind of all I have for revelations. Like the reviews were were going well. It's out again, uh, February seventh in the U.S., U.K. and Japanese players already, like European and Japanese players already sampling it. Yeah. The feedback's been good. Um, There's a playable demo as well. Playable you... demo on the 3DS eShop. So like, it was a demo that we used at a lot of events right, um, right. Uh, throughout last year. And speaking of events, if you're anywhere near Anaheim, uh, WonderCon is coming up. Uh, usually it's in San Francisco, but this year it is in. Um, Anaheim, California. So if you're closer to Southern California, WonderCon will be there, and I know Capcom will have representation there. Um, I'm not sure which games will be there or, or what else is going on, but I mean, if you are in the area, uh, that's something to consider. Yep. Um, not just Capcom games, but I'm sure other companies will be there as well. So <laughs> usually you can probably other companies. <laughs> no, I just don't know because normally I'm all up in WonderCon because yeah, I yeah. love going, but it's not in San Francisco, so I kind of have like I just kind of like there was a mental block like oh yeah. So, but it's it's a great show. It's like a mini Comic Con that's much more navigable, and uh, you know you can you have you stand a better chance of getting into any panel, any line you want to get in. It's mm. a, it's a fun show. Well, cool. I'm psyched because I haven't been to before, been been to WonderCon before. Yeah, it's just it's just it's a great size. It's a great size show. Mm-hmm. It's easy to get around. Another event that's coming up is my part of my patented excellent segues, <laughs> uh, which I try to stack the show in such a way, but sometimes it doesn't work. And I feel like this. Oh, that's me. 
And Perfect. I'll give me one of those. So and, prepared. Uh, I, I managed <laughs> to grab some sound effects, and I'm doing a very good job of that. Oh, bad job. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Sears catalog. <laughs> I don't deserve the shabby treatment. Um, yeah, as far as events go, though, uh, the other big news for events um, is the Cross Assault reality show mm-hmm. that's coming up for Street Fighter Cross Tekken. And the bit with that is it's a week-long reality show at the end of February that is going to be streaming live. I play winners helping us. Team Spooky's helping us. And we're going to be doing our own on Twitch TV. Uh, just a big push. Get some players together for Team Street Fighter, Team Tekken. And get these celebrity uh, judges or, or team leaders in who we've teased who they are. And people are making some pretty accurate guesses, let's say, as to who they are. Accurate guesses, you say. But to register for this, uh, the deadline is midnight, February 5th, this Sunday. So to get in, you can go to, oh, here comes the URL. I wish it was prettier. <laughs> Capcom-unity.com slash go slash cross assault slash sign up. Rolls again right off the top. We are really good at this. Um, go to that site. You can choose whether you want to represent Team Street Fighter, Team Tech, and submit your video to YouTube about why you should be chosen to be on the show. And it's not just a reality show for the sake of it. There's a tournament involved, and the winner at the end of this uh, gets twenty five thousand bucks, which is no small amount of money, no matter where you're from. No. So it's kind of an unprecedented thing to do, uh, and to have it all happening live. I think it'll be really cool. I'm kind of nervous about. That week in the office, yeah. I'm like, I assume I'm going to be roped into this in some way, and I can't right. wait to find out at the last minute. Yeah. Um, but it's going to be awesome. Like either way, it's just going to be super cool, and I love that you know getting I play winner to help us, Team Spooky to help. Like it's just it's dead on exactly something that needs to happen. Like uh-huh. that, that community is totally there and totally ready for something like that and to support something like that. Mm-hmm. So I'm very excited to see where it goes. Um, as for the um, criteria to be chosen. Uh, the, it's one of those things where you go to the sign-up, the aforementioned uh, URL that I said. I'm not saying again. <laughs> you guys remember that? You guys, are, you wrote it down. Man, I really sound like I've been a chain smoker. I was sick <laughs> earlier this week, and like just my whole throat's just constricting. Yeah, yeah, a huge thing of legalese about what you need to do to get in the show. Mm-hmm. But I wrote, I wrote down these bullet-pointed lists, just so you need to be in excellent physical and mental health. Huh. So that's step number one. However, you will also be approximately 12 hours a day for the duration of the show, which runs that whole last week of February and I think a bit into the next week. So it's like you'll be on the air or involved in some way for 12 hours every day. Mm. And the YouTube video that you submit, and this is all on that page, like you go to the bottom, there's a URL or you know, there's a submission form and you want to be Team Street Fighter, Team Tekken, submit your video to YouTube and then uh, they're looking, the judges about who decides who's coming on the show. Mm-hmm. Um looking at personality, proof of your fighting game experience, and then, of course, the overall popularity of the YouTube video you submitted. So, like, to be eligible, you have to get over 100 views, period, which isn't difficult on YouTube. But there's, like, people who are writing songs, people who are submitting some nice produced videos. You've also got players, I mean, like, known players who headline Evo regularly trying to get in on this. So, like, (laughs) it's a stiff competition, but, I mean, there's a lot of slots open, so we also want to make it an interesting thing and, you know, get some people in here that, that will make the show kind of an interesting uh, thing to watch and see who can win. And representation from both Tekken and Street Fighter. Yeah, and you are looking at $25,000. Yeah, 25000 bucks. As for local events, uh, but again, the uh, that, that deadline is this, this Sunday. So, I mean, depending on when you listen to this show, I mean, this Sunday is it. So, <laughs> 2-5, February 5th, that's... That's the deadline. And it is North America only, and I think specifically United States only. I think there were like uh, additional rules that prohibited Canada or Mexico from it. Um, uh, I did check on that, and that's what I was told, but people keep asking, so I will ask again. 
<laughs> just in case they're like, oh, yeah, actually, we found a way to jump through these hoops, and it can actually happen. <laughs> but as far as I know, it's just, like, United States only. Yeah, so it'll be a tough thing to get in, but if you get in, I mean, that's not just, like, a once, you know, kind of a once-in-a-lifetime thing to be on this reality show that's going to be streamed live for a week, but also the money involved is pretty good. So um, if closer to San Francisco area and do not want to enter for $25,000 and just want to play <laughs> some games... We had we just had a fight club this week uh, yesterday for uh, Street Fighter Cross Tekken, so um, we live streamed that. I believe that went well. Recording it before that happened, so uh, <laughs> I assume it went well. But uh, yeah, there'll be more fight clubs to come. Obviously, I know we always seem to hit you know West Coast and East Coast, and as a Midwestern person uh, from the Midwest, I'm always like, can we get some something? You know, yeah. there's nothing going on out there. Can we <laughs> please just drop a fight club somewhere like Nebraska? Like just Almost right a surprise, considering how many people from Illinois there are in the office. I know and... Illinois is like very well represented in the games industry. It's scary, <laughs> but then after that, there's um, a Resident Evil event for Ra- Operation Raccoon City on Valentine's Day, uh, appropriately enough, Jill hmm. Valentine's Day. I think oh, yeah. they wanted to call it that, and they couldn't for some reason. Huh. But it's yeah, called like Zombie Valentine's Day, uh, February fourteenth at GameSpots. We did this at the end of December, so it's kind of a repeat of that. Only there's a tournament. $500 prize on the line for the team of four that wins the multiplayer tournament for Operation Raccoon City. Uh, it's at GameSpot's offices in San Francisco. So again, if you're you know within even 100 miles of San Francisco or the Bay Area in general, uh, it's worth making the trip out, going get, get to see the GameSpot offices, which is also kind of cool. Anytime you get to see you know inside the games industry a little bit, I it's the kind of thing when I was you know just stuck in the Midwest as I just <laughs> mentioned. Any chance to see you do something like that was pretty cool. So if you can make it out, it's still you know two weeks away, so there's still a little bit of time for that. And then uh, as far as streaming goes, I told you, told you this would be a light show, man. There's not, there's not a lot going on. And I wanted to prepare like some fun stuff in the first half, but uh, you've got some God Hand stuff coming up. Yep. And uh, there's always more announcements to be had, but this is what you get when uh, you want to do a show every two weeks. Yeah. And uh, there's not much to go on. Streams, we're uh, doing Devil May Cry streams every Wednesday leading up to the announcement, of, or the not announcement. The launch. Launch of uh, DMCC. Which will be uh, April 3rd for PS3 and Xbox 360. I'm trying to put on a good show, but uh, I'm a little rusty. I was never I was never a great player to begin with, but uh, I'm trying to make it look good. I mean, the game kind of looks good even if you right. uh, do badly. <laughs> it is a very stylish game, even if you're doing poorly. Yeah. It's, it's still a pretty cool game. Um, but you just finished doing, uh, you played all the way through DMC 1, and we just kind of touched on DMC 2. Yeah. And then now we're going in, because we're running out of time, so yeah, we got to yeah. get into DMC 3, and we want to go all the way through that for sure. And, yeah, and just um, popular demand. 3 is such a popular game. Of course, game. yeah. That was actually on the cover of the first magazine I ever appeared in. Wow. Uh, as a freelancer, uh, going back to PSM in 2003, or no, 2004. 2004. Uh, yeah, for Devil May Cry 3, it was on that cover. So I'm in the back with like foam fingers on, trying to type with foam fingers. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so that was my first appearance wow. in, in Gam's industry, which is, which is a special place in my heart. Um, That's crazy. I was still, I mean, I guess I was in college, but I was still like reading PSM. Yeah, I mean, I was still in college. I, I, was, uh, I, was, uh, an, I was an extern, as they like to call it, instead of an internship. So once wow. a year they would do a thing called an externship for one week, which was actually spring break. You know, you sign up for an externship, and everybody would do like, "Oh, I'm going to go to Chicago. I'm going to go to St. Louis. I'm going to go to some city nearby, or or even a business nearby." And I'm like, uh, "I'm going to try to find a way to get into a game magazine." Yeah. And through sheer just legwork and perseverance, like I, I mean, like really, just like trolling through internet <laughs> lists and trying to figure out like 
who works where, do I know anyone, and just through sheer, uh, also a little bit of luck that someone, I you know, knew a guy who knew a guy who knew a guy that knew a guy 10 years ago who I think <laughs> went on to work in a games magazine. Yeah. So, like, ended up getting that. So, yeah, that's, but for one week, you become an extern. You go in, it's basically you intern for one week. But, yes, yeah, so that's Devil May Cry 3 for me. All that comes up when someone <laughs> says Devil May Cry 3, that's where my brain goes. Did you actually do some writing on it? or no, Not that issue because it was, see, the magazine cycle, they have, like, a week kind of, it's an off week. It's not a week where they're not doing anything. It's just like they ship the magazine the week before, which is always a big crunch because you need to get everything in, mm-hmm. pages edited, copywritten. Everything has to be absolutely done by a certain date because it has to go to print. After that, you've now got three and a half weeks to get the next issue sorted. But in that first week, a lot of stuff still hasn't formulated because you're still talking about like, well, what are the, what's the coverage? What are our plans? How's this cover story coming? So it's all like still kind of up in the air. So there's that week mm-hmm. where there's not a lot to do yet. So that's the week I happened to be there. <laughs> so I like took pictures of controllers, and then I remember playing a lot of Ribbit King and uh, the Alias PS2 game, and I think uh, Siren, the, hor- <laughs> the the survival horror game Siren. I think I, I was playing that for like screenshots oh, or something. That's a winning week. So that's all I did <laughs> for the whole week. And, How uh, was that Alias game? I don't remember. Yeah. I think we can probably guess right. which way that the winds were blowing on that one. I also remember trying to tell everyone how much game music I had and how much I wanted them to all listen to it. And I remember giving them all CDs of like, yeah. here's every Super Nintendo song I have. <laughs> I don't know why I was 12, 10 years ago, but they were like, cool kid, thanks. <laughs> no, you got to listen to this. this mean Bean Machine music is so good. <laughs> they don't care. So yeah, but again, in addition to the Devil May Cry 3 streams, which we're doing every Wednesday, uh, generally Wednesday afternoon, this is all on twitch.tv slash Capcom Unity is the, is the premier place to watch these because our, our column width on Unity itself isn't conducive to having a full-size video player. Right. So it's best to watch it directly on the Twitch player. We're also doing monthly Mega Man streams, which we kicked off uh, last... Well, yeah, it was last Friday, and what was probably one of my favorite streams to date. Yeah. Uh, the chat was super cool. Everyone had a good time, and I'd like to say I did a really good job playing Mega Man 1. You totally did. I, I some... want to toot my own horn, but I did go home and watch it when it was over <laughs> and just like kind of sat there very satisfied. Moonwalking into Iceman's door was like the highlight of my week. Yeah. Um, but we also gave away, I gave away a, a Mega Man 10, a specifically Rock Man 10 soundtrack that I had bought a year ago and didn't realize I already had one. So mm-hmm. we had an extra one, and I uh, put that up for one of the giveaways. Going to try to do a giveaway every one of those streams. And the next one is Mega Man 2 coming up on February 10th. Yes. This is all reliant on our stream equipment cooperating. Mm-hmm. So until we get everything sorted out, all of these streaming dates are like probably. Yeah. But I know you're you're playing, you're playing practicing your Mega I've Man 2. I've been practicing at home quite a bit because I was so impressed with your performance. I was like, oh, God, I have to live up to this now. To be fair, yeah. 1 is fairly easy and also very short. Yeah. So it's not, a, it's not a difficult game to get through. 2 starts to get a little bit longer, and then 3 and 4 is where it really starts getting, like, this is longer right. and a little tougher. Yeah, you, it becomes such an endurance challenge, you know, after a while. But, uh, you know, 2 is by far the one that I know the best. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But even still, just playing. I've been playing the anniversary collection version. But, yep. Uh, I fired it up uh, last Sunday, I think, and just got totally mutilated all day long. It was <laughs> an, it was an all day pursuit. Wow. And then uh, I got through it at around twelve thirty in the middle of the night, and I was like just worn out. But then, sure enough, the next day I was like, you know, I could do that again. You know, yeah, yeah, that's how those early Mega Man games are. You're like. Because even after I beat one on the stream, I was like, 
I could go home and play this all. Yeah. Like, I, it's a, I, I, the same thing with Resident Evil Four for me. Like I, I did the, I played it the whole way through. I did the live stream for it was a ten hour stream on Halloween, mm-hmm. and I played through the whole game. And even when I was done, when I got home, I'm like, yeah, maybe I'll play. I'll start. A, I'll start <laughs> a new game. Like something about that exact style of game, that third person view that RE4 nails so perfectly. Yeah. That that's that's still uniquely Resident Evil. That's not like every you know. It's not a cover shooter. It's not a run mm-hmm. and gun. It's it's very much like. That, that that style of Resident Evil Four thing, just something about it speaks to me. That I the same way I like playing Revelations or RE Five. Like I just play it over and over again. Yeah. And that's obviously the Mega Man art games were made for replayability. Um. So, look it, forward to that stream, and yeah. we'll uh we'll get them up there, and uh, we'll actually go into our interview now in the middle, which uh was with Breakman Exe from the forums, and uh we'll listen to him. Let's see what he's got to say, and we'll be right back. Hey everyone, welcome to our second uh, Community Spotlight interview, and this week we're talking to... Hi, uh, I'm Breakman EXE on Unity, as well as uh, elsewhere on the uh, on the interwebs. Yeah, so you can call me that, you can call me Cody, really it doesn't mind as long as you don't call me late to the event. Can I call you Break Cody? Or Cody Man. Cody Man. We'll go with that. Cody Man, what is a... Uh, <laughs> no, really, please don't call me that. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so... Uh, Breakman EXE, which I'm a fan of. We'll stick with that one. Um, yeah, okay. just a quick like uh, interview, like a quick overview of like you know who you are, what you're about, maybe how you uh, came to get on Capcom Unity. Uh, we can start with some general stuff like that. Okay. Uh, as far as who I am, um, you got my name. I did the drop. Uh, I've a uh, big, very big hardcore fan of the uh, of the uh, particular Mega Man and Resident Evil franchises. So uh, oh, yes. I've been. In- yeah, I've been into Capcom for uh, quite some time. As far as uh, me being on Unity, uh, the first time I showed up, um, you know, I'd popped in every now and then to uh, you know check out the PR posts, uh, see what kind of stuff is coming down the pipe. Right. But uh, I actually registered and became a member when the Dev Room came out. Of course. That was a that was a good amount of fun that we had during those days. Yeah, that was actually that was all Gregaman's uh, purview, and we we just tried getting him on the call, and we had problems. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah. he could he could have spoke to that more because that was also before my time before I started I was still like in the press. Well, yeah, you like, came in in uh, what September, right? Yep, I came in like uh, mid September of 2011. But uh, I was in the yeah. press, uh, had done the games journalism side since 2005, so I definitely covered the dev room like when it was announced and stuff like that. But I never got to keep up with it uh, quite as much as Greg did, obviously, because he was an active participant in it. Well, yeah, the man on hand. Absolutely. So what was your role like inside the dev room? Like, What did you do inside there? I was just another standard Joe, you know, getting together with the folks, having some nice uh, debates, discussions. Uh, this should belong in the game. No, don't put zero in the game. You'll ruin right. the whole thing, that sort of stuff. <laughs> right. As if one character could break it all. <laughs> 
Well, uh, I, I don't know. It depends. It really depends on who you ask. I mean, there are some really impassioned fans that uh, you know aren't afraid to let you know what they're all right. about. No, it's it's a it's always that kind of stuff. It, it seems trivial, but it is definitely like when you have the conversation. It's like, well, actually, yeah. Does character X or does gameplay element X actually belong in game Y? And I'll throw some more letters out as we continue. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is going great. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I guess what have you been up to in the more recent uh, in the more recent months? As far as Unity is concerned, um, mostly, well, unfortunately, since the dev room uh, shut down, um, yeah. uh, well, I, I still lurk around there. I mostly am just a huge community lurker. I pop into the, the Mega Man boards, the uh, the dev room, uh, even uh, probably the place where I'm most active right now is on the RE boards, mainly because of uh, the inserted evil arg. Right. And, yeah, uh, I want to I get in there myself and... Um just start giving some doing having some more giveaways going on uh with both Resident Evil goods you know goods and uh got a lot of Mega Man stuff that I've acquired myself over the years and I'm like this oh stuff, fantastic you're this a collector stuff, then uh I'm a collector trying to stop like <laughs> and working in the games industry has led me to a uh, a collection of things that is absurd. So, oh, life is hard. I know. It's just you get to that point where you're like, I've reached a mental breaking point, and I so like right when I started, I handed out that like Bionic Commando lunchbox, and I just we had a Mega Man one stream last week, so I yeah, had, sorry I, had, I missed that. I had to work. Ah, too bad, man. Well, we have Mega Man two and coming up pretty soon, so we're gonna do one each month like throughout the throughout the year leading up to Mega Man's twenty uh, fifth, which is something I'm personally you know very much invested in like i mega man's the reason i mean not not to flip the interview tables here but like oh no no actually right this the, uh this right comes nicely back to me because that mega man 2 was my first uh nes game <laughs> oh, definitely a fantastic way to be introduced to it jeez yeah mega man 2 i mean obviously it's like the the safe choice but it's the go-to choice but it's like it's the go-to for a reason yeah and it is good but I feel like I feel like in more recent years, it maybe has been put on a little too high of a pedestal and having a little too much influence, perhaps. Oh, yeah. Do you have a game that you would replace that you feel has been unjustly uh, uh, hasn't got a fair shake over the years? Uh, not really. I just feel that um, I just feel that Mega Man two and three were probably definitely the two most influential titles. But I feel like more or less everyone that's come down the pike after that just hasn't gotten. Maybe for maybe for good reason, but I don't feel like they've gotten you know just the same amount of recognition despite the different things that they have added. Like, right. Like personally, for one, I was pretty sad to see the Mega Buster go for, oh, yeah. for Mega Man at least in nine and ten. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's so actually part of the camp that like I don't know for me it, like changed the whole. I mean obviously it changes the entire way you play the game, but yeah. Uh, for me it became more about I became obsessed in four and five with always having the Buster charged, and I started thinking about that more than I was thinking about like just getting through the level, trying you know the platforming stuff. Like my brain became fixated on am I charged? Am I not charged? So then like for nine and ten when I was reviewing them I actually thought like oh cool like I can just go back to this like I'm just progressing through the level dodging oh. enemies. I can really focus on like quick decisions whereas the Mega Buster you've got to like always be thinking a bit ahead. I guess I personally just adapt to the method of just having one button completely like planted on B the whole time and actually yeah. using like my the inner knuckle of my thumb to hit the A button when I need yeah. to. Yeah. No, there's definitely like both of them are like perfectly good strategies and like Yeah, neither way is incorrect. Right, of course. Um so moving out of Mega Man 2, I guess Mega Man 2 would be kind of uh we always want to ask like your favorite Capcom game. Is that also following that or do you have something else that you would actually classify as like your number one Oh man, that ah uh, Which I know well, is I, not a fair question really. No, that's not fair. <laughs> no, uh 
Oh, God. Mega Man 2 is certainly the classic, and I just really enjoy a lot of things about that. The vast majority of the things in that game are things I enjoy. The music, the Robot Masters, the way uh, yeah. it was put together. But it, 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 it's hard to say that that's my favorite Capcom game. Maybe it's my favorite classic Mega Man game, but I also really like 7. Um, if I had to peg oh, down... Oh, yeah, really? Wow. Oh, yes. I know, vocal minority here. No, <laughs> but, like, a 7 is good. I've just never heard anyone like have it that high on the list. That's interesting. I don't know. Something about... I kind of bonded with that game in a way. I think most people probably wouldn't, but uh, you, you know, it, it's got its faults. So, But it, it's my personal favorite, although it may not be the best classic of game. Of course. That makes it's sense. A, yeah, oh, absolutely. It's a personal... you got a personal reason, attachment to it. Yeah. As far as... Um, favorite Mega Man game overall over all the series I'd probably have to say another obscure one Mega Man X8 huh yeah actually I, yeah that's one I'm not as familiar with as at all like with as far as the X games go you seem to be in on a, you seem to have been on kind of a retro kick lately I seriously recommend picking that up sometime for sure yeah I played like X I was with uh, one two three and then I've gone back and played four and then dabbled with you know five and six but after after that after the PS1 era I definitely kind of fell off the X wagon. That that's fair. I mean the only two were kind of far between each other and just for the PS2. So yep. And then I'm guessing with your name being Breakman EXE is there another I'm guessing it's Oh <laughs> yeah, actually. Um yeah, the uh initially I was in the camp of well that looks nothing like classic Mega Man. What, uh, what's going on with Woodman over there? This game, this series sucks. I'm not playing it. Yeah, I but, think I was, that that's probably something I said too at the age when that game came out. <laughs> I, I don't know. I I gave it a shot, and well, I keep the Breakman EXE name for a reason. I like one was fun. I I bonded with two. Two is my favorite EXE game. Three was right. good, and uh, I am actually one. <laughs> I'm actually one of the uh, the of North America's foremost uh, authorities in collecting the physical battle chips. Oh right. I have a uh, I have a complete collection of um, of the EXE4 library, the advanced, the one from EXE5 Progress and EXE6 Link. I have one of every single battle chip. It took me like five or six years to do it all. Yeah. So what was the story with like the physical battle chips again? It, it was like a it was a tie-in with both the games and the anime, I guess, which was uh-huh. going on at the time. Uh, you remember NT Warrior a few years ago? Yeah. Well. Um, uh, they sold those, and you could use them with the the little LCD screen um, uh, personal terminals that um, Mattel localized. I believe it was Mattel. Well, regardless, <laughs> um, but you could also, uh, at least with the um, well, with EXE four, five, and six, the Japanese versions, they had their own battle chip gates that plugged into the back of the Game Boy Advance, and you could actually use those battle chips in the game. So, like scan was- them in, basically. Well, they, they actually had a slot where you could plug the chips into this slot right, right. and would register the chips, and then you'd take it out, yeah. and then uh, it would be available for your guy to use. And you could yeah. you could either just use Mega Man to play, or you could uh, insert data for another Navi and use him. But uh, that functionality, for some reason, ended up getting axed for the uh, for the English port of EXE 6 for some reason, although it was in the other two. Well, this is going beyond my depth of knowledge. I can tell you that. Oh, sorry. I kind of, I kind of nerd out when it comes to stuff like that. No, I mean that's like anytime you hear like it's something I completely missed. So like that, that's like knowing that that exists. Like anytime I know that like a game that's perceived as old that had this cool functionality that yeah, it seems kind of ahead of its time. Like that's always cool to like realize that you know maybe I heard that it was going on back then, but then kind of glossed over it. So 
Yeah. Anytime you can talk to somebody who knows, like, no, here's exactly what was going on, here's why it was cool. Like, that's always a great thing to have. <laughs> well, I'm glad I could contribute in that way. Yes. Uh, somebody else listening to this, I'm sure, is appreciating it as much as I am. Well, I certainly hope so, because yeah. otherwise I've just completely bored the entire listener yeah. base. Well, they're going to learn it whether they like it or not. That's <laughs> So I guess to take us out, did you have a specific Capcom song that you wanted to play you out of this segment from any the the wide range of Capcom music out there? Uh, I've, I've got a couple. Um, do I get one to play me in as well? Yes, actually. So I was trying to dance around that. But uh, yes, oh. you, you can have, oh. have one that plays you in as well as one that takes you out. So you can pick two. Okay. Um, well, I, I think these are pretty safe. I don't see a whole lot of people lining up for this. I, I'm not picking Wily Fortress 1 for Mega Man 2. So, right. Uh, I'm g- still on the board for someone. Yes, it's like a countdown to who's going to finally get that. <laughs> Probably next episode. Yeah, I'm, I'm always I'm always going to try to talk people out of it, and then when I finally, if someone ever gives me a reason that's like, no, here's why I deserve it, then like, you know, go for it. Well, the bar's set pretty high, I think. Yeah. Okay. Um, to bring in, uh, if it's cool, I'd like to get the uh, the Mega Man X8 theme song. Okay. It, for easy reference, it's the very first track on the Japanese soundtrack. I'm sure you got a copy there somewhere. Oh yeah. And and to bring me out, uh, how about we go for the credits theme for Mega Man Seven? Oh nice. Okay, I do know that music. Yeah, that's a nice one. All right, I can make that happen. Awesome. Uh, I guess as a parting note, any other thing outside of Capcom, Mega Man, uh, hobbies, anything you got going on that you kind of do when you're not like totally jacked into physical discs? <laughs> um, uh, not a whole lot. I mean, I'm a boring 9-to-5-er. I work like everyone else, come home, uh, am too tired to do anything, go to sleep. Um, but uh, no, as far as outside stuff, um, pretty much one of the biggest things I do outside of, uh, you know, gaming Capcom stuff that Legend of Zelda uh, of course. Oh, here, here's a laundry list of the games I play right. um, uh, I'm really into rock bands so I uh, I go out and do a lot of uh, events like uh, recently they had the Umlaut event in uh, San Francisco yeah. um, me and my friend signed up we were a part of that uh, cool every last... year for like three years I've been meaning to go to that and every time it's like the same night I'm not in town <laughs> oh, it's tr- try to get it off. It's a great time. Um, it sounds it sounds awesome. Just people like go up and play in a in a bar that's like set up for concerts. Which the D- oh, yeah. DNA DNA Lounge is an awesome venue. Period. Yeah, that uh, place is great. It's yeah, I saw Anamonaguchi there, and it was like the coolest show I've ever been to in my life. Oh, nice! Uh, it's absolutely amazing. But uh, yeah, just getting to play rock band in a venue like that is super cool. Yeah, and uh, this year we um. Uh, we chose a French rap rock song, and uh, we called our band Limp Croissant. <laughs> and uh, I, got, I got to dress up with like a trucker cap, like the the shades that don't actually block UV rays, gold chains, right. and uh, <laughs> prance around stage just uh, rapping in uh, poorly translated French. Uh, French. <laughs> yeah, wow. this is a specifically unique moment in time. <laughs> Yeah, try to come out sometime. It'd be great. Yeah, that, I guess it's later this year at this point. I'm still in January or February now. Jeez. Uh, yeah. Yeah, way later this year. I'll, I'll make it my business to go this time. Awesome. Hope to see you there. Yeah, but no, thanks again for joining us, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks for having me on, man.
Thanks, Breakman, for taking the time uh, to come on Skype with me and talk. But as we introduce one of the community members, we're also going to introduce another member of the Capcom team. Uh, last week, the three of us introduced ourselves, and this week we're joined by... Sean Houlihan. Hi, hey. guys. I'm a QA lead here at Capcom. Hello. Hi. Thanks for coming by. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Isn't this like a professional show and everything? Yeah. It is, actually. It's a little frightening. I didn't know that there was so much stuff here. Well, yeah. we, it all has to go back in the closet when we're done. That's cool. <laughs> uh, help me. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, just if you wanted to say like exactly what goes into your job and what your day-to-day is like. or, or Yeah, 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 sure. Um, so, you know, as a QA lead, uh, for anyone who's actually really involved in video games, QA is a term that gets thrown around mm. a lot. Quality assurance is uh, one of two things. It's usually thought of as either the people to blame for your buggy games, <laughs> um, which isn't completely far off. We, so tr- we try hard. That's me. That's okay. it's my fault. I'm sorry, everyone. But um, or it's um, you know when when QA is mentioned, it's usually oh that horrible job where you have to like run against every single wall in a mm. level in order to you know get paid. Um, you know, it's actually there's a little bit of uh, there's a little bit of misunderstanding when it comes to QA. So first, I'll just kind of give my background because QA is definitely really varied and it's mm. uh, a lot different here at Capcom. But when I started, I actually started Electronic Arts. Um, In Redwood Shores, I was QA for rock band. So, um, yeah, that's probably why I'm deaf and speak loud. (laughs) Um, Yeah, every day for me was pretty much walking in onto a plastic drum set and hearing nothing but clickety-clack, clickety-clack, and the most horrible singers on the planet. Uh, Um, For anyone who knows rock band, yes, you can hum into the mic and still get by on expert. We had no one do that. Um, But anyways... um, QA at Electronic Arts, not to bag on anyone who's worked at EA or does currently because I loved it there, but um, it's definitely what you will typically understand is QA. You do Mm. go in, you do the same repetitive tasks, you are told specifically to test the same thing over and over and over again. And again, I know I make this sound horrible, but I still (laughs) loved the job. Um, I really did. That is what a lot of people know uh, as QA. Now, when my contract ended, I came here to Capcom to be a tester, thinking it was going to be the exact same thing. And yes, I did start as a tester here at Capcom no longer than just uh, two or three years ago. And when I started, it was immediately apparent to me that it's vastly different. When I am doing my day-to-day as a tester, or when I was, um, it wasn't just a matter of doing the same repetitive tasks. It was basically encouraged to me to play the game in every way that was absolutely possible. Mm-hmm. I had to think of every person I'd ever played a game with, against, or, you know, just even how I would play a game. Because you don't actually play a game, obviously. Anyone who's in QA knows that you test games. Mm. Um, But in doing that, we would have to basically take every path, try every maneuver. We would have to use every move, every weapon constantly. And, yeah, it's not always on a game that you want to um, test. Shout out to Dark Void. Um, But... um, (laughs) Um, uh, but no, I actually, I actually really like that game, really? <laughs> um, but you know, it's, um, it's definitely something that if you're into the video game industry, not only is it something that can be frightening because of all of the horror stories you hear, but, um, it's something that usually people try and shy away from because they go, Oh, I want to be a developer or mm. I want to be an artist. I can tell you now QA is the way to enter into this industry. Right. Um, I mean, when I started here at Capcom, you kind of have to find your niche. You have to understand where you want to go. But once I did, I I loved QA. I loved my team. I loved the people that I was working with. And um, I loved being able to influence the game. You do influence the game. Mm. Even as you're writing bugs, you're saying that this doesn't work the way that a normal user would expect it to, and it gets changed to what you would expect to have it be. Hmm. And so, you know, when you... 
when you see that day to day, it's actually really, really enjoyable. You start to understand how the industry works and everything mm. like that. And that is really the one thing I can say about QA. If you want to enter this industry, regardless of what position, QA is definitely the entrance. And, and mm. that really helped at Capcom. So now I'm a lead and now I tell everyone else what to do and no one listens. But um, <laughs> I was going to say, how, what was the difference between just being QA and then when you became a lead, how did that? Yeah. So when I became a lead, um, Really, the biggest difference was I had a lot less time in-game. I know mm. it sounds strange, but obviously with the tester, your day-to-day -day job is to be in the game for 8 to 10 hours right. a day. <laughs> for me, uh, as a lead, I will be in the game maybe like 1 to 2 hours a day, but when I am, it's at a high level of looking at the title when i'm looking at it it's to plan what needs to be tested mm. it's to provide feedback on the titles to see mm -hmm. you know what things from a higher level user perspective would be necessary to either change or add or delete and so in that way it's really rewarding and i really rely on my team for that but a lot of it's just like you know trying to figure out so what do we really need to look at today and trust me with certain titles it it can get overwhelming really easily. I was going to say, just even to know where to start sometimes. Yeah, no, yeah. Like... As a tester, you're just told, go. Right. As a lead, you have to wave the starting flag, and yeah. that can be really frightening when there's a horde of testers behind you. Um, <laughs> and again, though, I mean, it's, you know, finding the place to start is usually just as easy as what would you play first. Right. When you start up a game, if all features are currently implemented, it's just, well, you know what? If this is a multiplayer-based game, maybe we should start looking at the multiplayer. Mm -hmm. You know, I know right. it sounds very overly simplistic, but right. that really can be all it takes to start getting a test plan going and things like that. And uh, that's really what my day-to-day -day is, is trying to figure out, you know, how everyone at home would play the game and how we need to go about testing the title in order to make sure that everyone is happy. <laughs> it's a little daunting. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, it seems it's like a lot of pressure to, if anything, when things slip through the cracks, like... How late into the game can you oh, like yeah. go in there to like grab something like, yeah, almost, that almost made it through. <laughs> no, yeah, I know. And actually, it's really crazy. And that's why I said one of the things that a lot of people who have never worked in QA are usually the people who say this. But when they see a buggy game, they go, QA's fault. Right. And it's understandable. We write bugs. So if there's a bug in the game, we didn't see it. Um, that's actually one of the things that I learned fastest when I learned uh, QA was that we know everything when it comes to bugs. I'm not being right. you know, facetious here. I'm being serious. If you have found a bug, chances are that QA has probably found it as well. Mm. Um, <laughs> and the unfortunate fact is that it's not always within our ability to control what bugs do and don't get fixed. And that's mm -hmm. just part of risk assessment and production and things like that. There's so many other factors. And I'm going to be honest, when I, before I came to QA, I did the same thing. I'd see right. a really buggy <laughs> game and I'd be like, no, that's no, QA didn't do anything. Yeah. God, who's doing the QA on this? But um, <laughs> you know, I uh, I know now that definitely like these bugs will definitely be found, and that's the nice thing too is that QA. If you want to know who knows the game, it's QA. Right. They, I mean, the developers will spend specific time amount of time on their part of the game. Right. They'll either do the art, they'll do the audio, they'll do certain levels. Um, you know, they might understand specific mechanics. I can guarantee you, if you need to know about a game as a whole, it is QA. Right. Yeah. And uh, it's actually a little scary uh, what some of our guys are able to do at the end of projects. I mean... I'd imagine so. You've spent yeah. hundreds, hundreds <laughs> yeah. of hours. And that's that's why I said, like, even my first project here was Dark Void on, uh, on 360 and P, uh, PS3. And by the end of that project, I was actually speedrunning it in under a couple hours wow. just Whoa. as part of the regular process. Right. And... Um, 
flight controls were a second nature to me, and mm-hmm. it was actually really weird to pick up another game, like a first-person shooter. I remember picking up Modern Warfare and being like, oh my god. <laughs> I can't oh, fly. What, what am I doing? I can't take off. <laughs> Where's my jetpack? Um, but yeah, I mean, these guys on the games, like right now we're dealing with Raccoon, Raccoon City, and right. seeing the guys play Raccoon City is actually... Headshot, 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 headshot. Of course. Headshot. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, so I guess people at home really aren't hacking sometimes. Right. They're just, just, they're just QA they testers. They were QA yeah. people. How does yeah. that compare, like, when you have one game, say, like, Raccoon City, but then when there's something like Devil May Cry Collection that's three games packed into one package, is they've in a way, they've been already tested, but, like, I guess when you do this, it could introduce all other kinds of problems. Oh, yeah, yeah. Actually, um, DMCC is a really interesting lesson that we learned because... For Capcom Entertainment Inc., or I guess Capcom USA now, mm-hmm. um, we had never really done a full uh, HD mm. overhaul of a title. And this thing really is an HD overhaul. I mean, it's not just passing it through an anti-aliasing filter and bumping it up to 1080. Uh, looking at Devil May Cry 1, for example, there were so many effects that were FMVs, even, oh, yeah. even water. Yeah. So when you go to try and upscale those, you can't. It's impossible. Right. The tree's um, blowing in one of the yeah, windows, I remember. Right. So... Just the bugs that get produced just by changing all the textures around and everything is mm. ridiculous. But then on top of that, code doesn't always migrate over too easily, folks. Right. And we had a lot of interesting gameplay <laughs> things. And, and But the tricky thing about Devil May Cry is, um, especially the collection, was if we were just doing one Devil May Cry title, it would be not so bad. You know, Everyone gets used to a Devil May Cry title. Like if we were doing an up-res version of DMC1, Everyone would start to get used to the mechanics, how to, qu- to quickly play through it, how to be able to check things quickly. We were doing all three titles, um, yeah. and we weren't actually on a really long schedule. So, you know, it's uh, it's really tricky because all the mechanics change between the games. All the types of bugs even change mm. between the games. You're basically testing three simultaneous games. Yeah. They're all, they are separate entities, but even then, QA is still... I mean, it's it's scary. I I remember that I used to speedrun DMC three for fun. You uh-huh. know, I'd try and get under a couple hours and stuff. And so I was showing some of the guys like, oh hey, you know, at the start of the project, you know, try and do this. You can slash cancel by doing this. You know, you can use this Beowulf to you know hop off people. And by the end of the project, they were teaching me, and I was nice. a, I was a little embarrassed actually. <laughs> I was like, how did so you, you passed, do that? And he's like, what do you mean? On. How did I do that? I've been doing that for three months. I was like, I'm just gonna walk away in shame. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah. What, what do you think that what I mean, in your estimate, like what the typical time investment for a given game? Like, if I were a tester, how many dozens, hundred hours total of your time do you think goes into just one game? Let alone cumulative years of work. Well, let's see. On an average title, if we spend, you know. Eight, I'm, I'm, by the way, I'm trying to do math, so bear mm. with me. If we do just the regular eight hours a uh, a day for five days a week, that's forty hours, and we will, in a month, you know, therefore spend a hundred and what, hundred and sixty hours in a right. month. Now, the normal amount of time on a project is usually between six and nine months. I'll just go for nine months. So whatever nine times 160 is, folks. Um, uh, I, yeah, tell you. I got my degree in journalism. Stay, hey, me too. Stay in school. That's what I um, did. <laughs> so yeah, I, but I did it because I wasn't very good at math. Um, no, I'm, I'm ruined for math. Like, yeah. Give me any two numbers. I'm, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't I, do I it. Don't, I forgot what a number was for a while. So it's really <laughs> tricky. Thanks, Excel. Uh, they might helped. be invented. I don't yeah. know if they're real. Have you ever seen a number? <laughs> yeah, I've never I've, seen a number. Yeah. <laughs> Them and sharks, man, I'll tell you. <laughs> Anyways, um, but yeah, so we spend a good, you know, a thousand hours just with, in surplus of a thousand hours just Jeez. on one title for just the normal 
just the normal amount of time we work. But on top of that, one thing that a lot of people who have worked in QA know is, or have at least heard for you if you haven't worked, is we do overtime. Of That's course. the one thing that yeah. uh, QA is kind of known for is working those crazy hours so we try not to crunch them too hard but we definitely within the last three months of the project go to 10 to 12 hour days right you know and so right there that's you know an extra like 20 to 30 hours a, a week that right we're, that we're working and so even you know the weird thing is that i've noticed though is that for a lot of testers the more games that you work on regardless of what the type of game is uh, that just the more you work on it, seems like the faster I've noticed those types of testers to pick up games, regardless of the type. Mm-hmm. There are certain testers that we can tell when then you give them a new title within maybe a month, they're speedrunning it. Right. You know? And we haven't even implemented everything yet. Right. It's like, okay, slow down, guys. You might need to <laughs> rethink your process when we add this level. Uh, and it takes them all of a week to figure that out, too. Right. Yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy. But it's cool, too, because the nice thing is that when before a game comes out, when you're really excited about it, like I'm really excited for Raccoon City and I know all of these things about it that I cannot tell anyone. Right. Right. Now. Of course. But, um, you know, there's all these amazing things about the game, especially the multiplayer aspect, which is fantastic. And I can't wait until the game comes out to tell everyone. Right. And that's actually a really nice perk. And the producers usually appreciate that where it's like, hey, guys, did you know this about this about this? We won't be telling people, hey, did you know you can fall through the world right here? Right. You know, but, you know, we'll be like. Usually, in my experience, I've worked with a lot of um, GameFAQs writers uh-huh. and, you know, uh, for games that they've worked on and stuff like that. And it's it's really cool how they basically give back to the community. Right. Or we try. Well, I feel thoroughly educated in, yeah. Q- in the world of QA. I know, uh, what is it, Grandma's Boy? Oh, no, no, I just I just wanted to no. say it to see what reaction you would get. Because, yeah. like, even when I had just, like, when I was in games journalism before mm-hmm. this, like, even, like... That movie tainted like everyone's perception of that because even when I would go home and be like, "What do you? Oh, what are you doing? Oh, yeah, I work in games. Like, oh, like grandma's. I'm like, no, I don't. I don't even do yeah. that. Like, and I just yeah, no. I it was as someone like it was definitely grossly insulting. It's actually much worse than that. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> no, uh, yeah, that's a, that's the tricky thing about QA is that when I try and explain my job to other people um, and I don't have a microphone in front of my face and an allotted amount of time, you know, yeah. like I TikTok. I have to try and like get it to them like really quick so they understand and they don't think I'm insane for rambling. Right. Um, <laughs> so thanks for bearing with me, everyone. Yeah, but um, but yeah, it's it's unfortunate that there's a lot of things like Grandma's Boy, which um, <laughs> which immediately conjure up images in people's heads because that's not at all what it's like. And I have a hard time believing anyone actually worked in QA that worked on that movie. Um, But there's definitely some... Okay, there's some similarities, but it's always dependent on where you work. Right. Everyone's got their horror stories for QA. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've I've never had to deal with that really bad. Um, And I think it's actually getting better. I mean, you got to remember, QA has... Is one of like the newest uh, areas of game development, and game development as a whole isn't even that old. I mean, right. it only stretches right. back to the '80s. We have guys in here who started in QA that are talking about when it was like four guys in, you know, some random cubicle. They were all just huddled together and they were working on some flight sim. Right. You know, and no one took them seriously in 1986. Because, or yeah, whatever, exactly. Right? Yeah, it was like, uh, oh, hey guys, we just want to pay you to play this game. Now it's actually evolving. The process he's right. changing. Methodical. This. Yeah, there there really is a lot now that goes into uh, quality assurance, and I want to assume it's taken more seriously, even if it's not understood globally. Mm. But um, one day, I mean, we're you can tell that we're becoming more and more important part of the game development uh, process. I mean, let's just put it this way: if you go to any company. There's always as many QA testers as there are developers. Mm. Always. Mm. 
So if Makes nothing sense. else, we uh, we create jobs. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and as a closing point, did you know that Word wants to autocorrect your name to hooligan? Yeah, <laughs> so does everyone else in the office, apparently. Um, so, yeah. So I typed it in a Word doc, and it's like, space hooligan. No, that's not what. That's okay. I've had much worse pronunciations anyway, so uh, I, I, I can, I'm fine with that. So uh, don't worry. At least it's you know what it is right away. It's a little mm-hmm. true. But uh, I guess we're running out of time for your allotted designated speaking time. But uh, uh, thanks for coming by. Yeah, no problem, guys. And, uh, thanks a lot. And if you have any further questions, there'll be a thread in the forums uh, about about that discussion. Um, so yeah, if there's any further inquiries, uh, just let us know, and we'll talk about it in there. Cool. But uh, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks a lot, guys. Thanks, Sean. And with the sound of a door closing, yeah. Sean has moved on. Another patented uh, segue coming up here. Um, <laughs> look, my job for a while was stacking a TV show, a morning show, a news mm-hmm. show. And it's real. like when you actually look at the news, it's amazing how much the news does not sync up like thematically. But hmm. all you can hope to do is not have two completely unrelated things like that right. are different in tone. Right. Where right. it's like. And the building burned down, and everyone blah blah blah, and five fire trucks barely got everyone out alive, and and then look what look who's selling funnel cake. This yeah, week. it's like funnel cake sales are up four hundred percent. Can you believe it? We're going live to the fairgrounds. Like that's you can't do that. Like so, uh, stacking a podcast is not dissimilar. So when we go from better know Capcom employee to a piece of ass Capcom trivia from the forums. <laughs> it's not totally unrelated. However, on the surface, it may seem that was a horrible segue. Um, but yeah, we had Ask Capcom, uh, the live one, uh, a couple weeks ago. And we'll have another one coming up in February. And uh, one of the things I wanted to do in the show each week was try to get a couple of questions to pull out of uh, from the thread and answer them uh, on the show. So a couple of the ones I pulled out from this is all from the Unity forums and Ask Capcom. Um, user Mike. Ooh, that's... I'm sure a very coveted like, <laughs> username to just get your name, like Mike. Yeah, it's well, pretty, I, pretty good. with your display name, I think they can overlap. So there's oh, probably it's several a display mics. Ma- okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Want to know what happened in the four years between Dead Rising and Dead Rising Two? And he's not asking like chron- you know, like uh, canon, like what happened in the game between one and two. Huh? He's asking, like, for example, why did it take four years to get right. from Dead Rising One to Dead Rising Two mm-hmm. if the first one was successful? Sold a million copies right, or whatever right. it was. I mean, you know, why, why did it take four years to get the second one out? So I, I asked around, and uh, basically, um, after the success of Dead Rising 1, they wanted to make sure uh, that the follow-up was suitably big, that uh, it was a, a proper sequel. Mm-hmm. Um, so they spent a long time looking at feedback from the fans and the press and the reviews, um, and that takes a lot of time to gather and, and you know, put together in a meaningful way. Mm-hmm. Uh, here, you know, here, this is just ranting, this is actual genuine criticism, this is ranting with a good point in the middle of it like you know you, you've got to like get all that stuff in there uh, and and also what's realistic to even fix in a game you got to put all that information out there at the same time Capcom was looking into uh, some western developers um, for potential work on our franchises so that also had a bit of a search going on with one we're trying to figure out what what worked in Dead Rising and what didn't what what could we fix how could we expand the game how could we grow the game and also, who's going to actually make it? Mm-hmm. Uh, a Western developer, that thought crossed their mind to to hand it off to someone. And then they, during that search, found Blue Castle Games. And uh, their interpretation of the vision that we had for Dead Rising 2. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I say we, and it's like, well, I was, I've, neither one <laughs> neither of us were here. <laughs> so uh, they, we, uh, 
you know, liked what Blue Castle, like, okay, kind of on the same page, and like, yeah, okay, Blue Castle's got this. Well, they're going to work on mm-hmm. it. So they begin working on a sequel. But I mean, that took X months or years to even get to the point where we decide what we want the game to be, and right. then who's going to make it. Right, and right. then the game was going to be a big undertaking, a bigger game than the first one. And that's going to take a couple of years on top of that. So if even it only took a year to get all the data, decide what we're going to do, figure out a budget, figure out what the game's going to be, new character art, new setting, and uh, then who's going to make it. We get the idea greenlit, then they start making it. it takes two years to make it after that. Like it, yeah. you know, All that adds up to four years. Um, so that's basically what took it so long. And also the idea that there were downloadable prologues and epilogues kind of built right, into right, the right. whole thing. So it's like that's also extra work. Mm-hmm. That had to be completed and and factored in, um, so yeah, there's just a lot of stuff going on in there, and that's kind of why uh, what was going on with uh, the gap between there, and also the DR2 was just such a huge game. Yeah, do we know what Blue Castle's background was at all? Anything they did before that? Uh, yeah, before that, they worked with 2K Sports to make the Bigs, uh, oh, okay. which is an MLB game, um, and then like right after that, Bigs, Bigs Two. Um, and then Dead Rising, Case Zero, Dead Rising 2, mm. like it just went into full Dead Rising mode. And wow. uh, shortly after, Blue Castle became Capcom Vancouver. So. Some of those baseball elements did carry over, I suppose. Well, there were baseball bats. There were bats. <laughs> and there were balls. And there were nails in those bats. Yeah. With bigger boards and bigger nails. <laughs> Build a nail. Board with a nail in it so big, it will destroy them all. Uh, it's one of my favorite monologues of those alien characters. <laughs> just. A board with a nail in it that's so big. I'm just imagining them swinging a nail that kills everybody. And just trying to envision that is so difficult. Oh, Simpsons jokes. Uh, another question. Um, is is DLC possible with Resident Evil Revelations? And I asked uh, Sven this, Christian Svensson. Uh, he chimed in with an answer in the thread. And I all I did was email like, hey, do we have an, an answer on this? I can read it on the show, and he actually went into the thread and answered it in the thread. So I'm like, oh, oh well, I was hoping to answer it on the show. <laughs> so it was answered. Um, but basically, games need to know ahead of time that DSC will be there so they can have, you know, be built with the idea that they're going to be little slots, sort of, to fill in with DLC right. or that the game will accept DLC down the road. And uh, Revelations, I uh, says that's not the case with Revelations. So the game is what it is. Um, still, though. 10-hour game and then all the raid mode stuff and street pass stuff that's going on with it we've yeah. accidentally street passed a couple times yes, like right. at work and i'm like i got a shotgun shell <laughs> that's it yeah. can't you can you please play can you also start getting your puzzle pieces man yeah <laughs> sorry i, I can't believe this that. building like i was at future like everyone had puzzle it was just puzzle pieces flying everywhere <laughs> And then I'm like, well, I'll just bring my 3DS to Capcom. Surely they'll be zero. I've been playing I get zero puzzle pieces. I've been playing 3DS games. I have a Japanese 3DS. So I, yeah, yeah. Messing around with Tri-G. Yeah, see, that's something I want to get on too. It's uh, yeah, it's it's addictive and frustrating. I spent two hours the other night trying to kill one monster. Was yeah. it the biggest monster? No, it was like a there's a three star monster, which is like fairly low level in that game. But there was a giant spike in difficulty where uh, I, I went from like breezing through, and then suddenly it, it was a it's a monster called a Kurapeko, which is like a it's a big bird that pecks you. <laughs> Does that translate to something like? Pe- no, no, it's just gibberish. Okay, I just didn't know that peck was in it. I didn't. Yeah, know was- no, I think all the monster names are either complete gibberish or. Based on real animal names, but like made into gibberish. Made into fearsome monsters. Fearsome gibberish. Uh, <laughs> speaking of gibberish, you know what game's full of that? 
Sort of. Uh, <laughs> if you're leading into God hand. God hand. Yeah. So this is the uh, appreciation part of the show. Uh, look at that. All of a sudden, you're in a different part of the show. The, <laughs> the walls changed color. His couch is suddenly comfortable was... for the first time. <laughs> but last time I did the Resident Evil GameCube remake, because I played it for the first time over the break, and was kind of like, it was just a gap that I had. I never played it. Um, mm-hmm. I just didn't have time when it came out. College was really demanding, and I the games I did have time to play, right. I'm like, well, I already played Resident Evil. I don't need yeah. to play it again. So, yeah. Specifically Metroid Prime, which was right. also in 2002, which completely ate up all my time. They weren't totally close with the release date at all, but, oh, man, Metroid Prime. So, yeah. so good. So eerie. Uh, yeah, I think I went through it four times in the launch month alone. Like, <laughs> I waited eight years for new Metroid, so when it came out, I was just, I'm going to 100% this, and then I'm going to play it again. Yeah. And then I'm going to play it again, and then, you know, I'm just going to go ahead and play it again. And I'm going to get C's in all my finals, and I don't care. <laughs> I just want to play Metroid Prime and scan everything. Yeah, so awesome. It, ha- it had been called the Citizen Kane of gaming. What Metroid Prime? Yeah, <laughs> I'm not sure. If that's, that's pretty <laughs> severe, but I mean, it's it's that's one of my favorites for sure. But uh, this show, we wanted to do uh, one of your personal favorites. That goes back like it's not a it's not a new like for me. The remake was kind of a new thing that I that I I'd always heard how great it was, and I mm-hmm. wanted to find the figure out right, what right. it was and I totally understand now like why it's so revered to this right. day but God hint something you have going back like to when it launched I think it was 06 when it came I out I was a believer from the day I heard about it um, <laughs> but well I guess to give it a little bit of relevance um, it is now available seemingly by complete miracle yeah <laughs> you can download it for 10 bucks on uh, PSN as part of this weird uh, like Hey, we can play PlayStation Two games on this thing initiative, right. but like <laughs> they they've released a small handful of like very obscure games. There's like Ring of Red, which was this weird. Wow, mech. that's on there. Yeah, it was like Whoa. <laughs> I loved that game back in the day too. That was a good one. The battles were like three to four hours each. Ex- just, yeah, <laughs> it's like a hexagon map where it's alternate 1960s where there are mechs in like. <laughs> Vietnam era battles, like, yeah, yeah, like uh, an alternate 1960s. It was, yeah, it's like Japan has been divided into I North Clearly Japan had, and South Japan. I clearly have meetings coming up that are popping up in this <laughs> thing, so uh, I will not be attending that meeting, obviously. Oh, okay. <laughs> but um, yeah, so there's a handful of uh, weird PS2 games. If if you have a PS3 that can go online, you should download God Hand. It's uh, like for nine ninety nine or whatever. And it, it's it's a game that everyone who everyone who has even a passing interest in action games should own this game because, you know, not only is it like hilarious and just a very uh, appealing package, but it's um it's actually a very smartly designed game. It's very tight and there's there's a lot going on under the hood. But uh I guess going back it was uh two thousand six in, I think it was launched in October, and around that time, I was sort of on the fence with uh, my gaming habits, where like I had I had been a lifelong gamer, but I'd just gotten out of college, and it was like I was still looking for a job, and I was like, well, kind of, I'm come kind of at a uh, uh, like a pass in my life where I should probably buckle down and get more serious, maybe ease up on the gaming a little bit. But then Capcom, uh, they released Olkami and God Hand both within like a yeah. month of one another. Very and I was close. like, no, maybe I should get way back into games. Yeah. Maybe I should just 
consider going even farther in. Yeah, exactly. I just remember that fall. So many awesome games came out. Oh, uh, six. Yeah, a lot of cool stuff. Yeah, you know, and that that kind of represented the the pinnacle of what I loved about Capcom is just the, they just did these crazy experiment projects that like couldn't possibly be that marketable. Oh yeah, know? yeah. It's uh even when I I was in the press at the time and like even getting people to read previews or reviews of Okami and God Hand, it was tough because it's like no 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 you're a dog god wolf and you paint on things <laughs> no it's really cool come back yeah. like read this no come back like and then we spent the next like four years telling everyone how great okami was yeah it just blew me away i just i remember like i would all of my time that i wasn't playing okami i was like thinking about playing okami and like i would like have something bad happening happen during my day and then i'd be like well at least i can go play okami you yeah. know it was that kind of game it was just all <laughs> encompassing my life but then, like, less than a month later, uh, the same team that made Okami, uh, Clover, which contained, uh, it was kind of an all-star team of, uh, it was like Hideki Kamiya, uh, Shinji Mikami, and uh, Atsushi Inaba, who, uh, they all worked on, like, Devil May Cry and Resident Evil games mm-hmm. and, like, all these other awesome Capcom games that I loved. They formed Clover, they did Beautiful, Beautiful Joe, and then they did Okami, and then they did God Hand. Um, when I heard the concept for God Hand, I was just like, it was just this head scratching moment. It's like, wait, they're, they're doing what? They're, <laughs> how did they like? How did they get this to pass? You know. So but, what is the concept? So the concept is it's it's um, sort of this uh, throwback to the old Capcom beat 'em ups like Final Fight, right? Um, except it's 3D. It's based on the RE4 engine, uh-huh. um, and there's all these weird sort of um, elements that. You just have this RE4 flavor, even though the game is very different. But it's a beat 'em up. But it's not. I mean, people always compare it to Final Fight and games like that. But the simul- similarities kind of. I mean, the f- there's the fact that you beat people up the whole game, and then like some of the character designs are obviously sort of like satire of Final Fight enemies. Like I there's see. all these dominatrices everywhere, mm-hmm. and like you know, just like crazy looking dudes. But the similarities kind of end there because um, those beat 'em ups, by and large, were pretty mindless. You know, you'd walk through. I mean, they were quarter munchers. You'd walk yeah. through an area and like hammer B to punch a guy and then jump occasionally. Do your three hit combo and move yeah, on. exactly. God hand. Um, it's it's just it's deceptively complex. You know, because it has it it just has like a small handful of mechanics, but the whole game is like. The, those mechanics form the crux of the whole game and it, the idea is to just master these mechanics to such a degree that you just feel like a complete badass and it's just it's just like this hilarious uh satisfying romp well like the first time i ever saw it i walked over to, s- to someone's desk who was playing it for a preview or review i can't remember it was gabe graziani who now works at ubisoft uh-huh which shout out to gabe which i may see him at pax east i don't know i hope so i haven't seen him in a while it's a cool story. You show up, Gabe. Yeah, uh, but he was previewing at the time. We both worked uh, together back then, and I walk over, and it's what appears to be the main character spanking somebody. Yes. Rapidly mashing on the circle <laughs> button, and then like kicking them into the moon or something like that. Yeah. Like, the yeah. whole game is just super weird, and <laughs> no, none of the characters seem phased by any of the weirdness that's going on. But and yeah. everyone's acting to the ceiling. Like yeah. just and and it's and it's unapologetic the whole time and right. that's what just seems so awesome in that 
I swear to God, like 60 second bit that I saw, I was like, this is amazing. Yeah, yeah. But I never got a chance to actually play it because of other games industry, you never get a chance to stop. It's always next right, game, right, next right. game, next game. I mean, you know, it's very much a gamer's game because, yeah, I mean, really one, one because it's quite hard, but two, uh, it's, I mean, they're constantly making references to sort of like uh, all these different game gaming tropes or cliches. And uh, it's just on top of that, it's smartly designed. Another thing that I love about this game is it, it came out sort of on the tail end of that first uh, uh, s- sort of uh, uh, I'm losing my vocabulary here, but it can't. It came out when QTEs were sort of on the rise, thanks to games like God of War, right? And um, by and large, I kind of hate QTEs. I'm not a fan. They they sort of. I'm pretty on record of that throughout my years in the game industry. Yeah. Of like, I I don't know. I just I feel like it takes control away from me. But right, I, I mean, they're, it, they're, they have their place. But like, when there's a reliance they, on them, I'm like, do. give me the control of that. Exactly. Moment. And you know, it seems to be a polarizing subject. Some people really like them. They like the cinematic nature of them. They like feeling like they're taking part in the cinematics. Um, but the the cool thing about God Hand is that while it uses QTEs in a sense. It's probably the best use of QTs I've ever seen. They're practically not even QTs because what it is is um, when you're when you're in a fight, if you get enough successive hits, it's like Street Fighter. If you hit them enough times in a row, they get dizzy. Right. And when they're dizzied, you're prompted to press circle, and then depending on the class of the character, you'll do a different like special move. But you don't just press circle; you hammer it. So right. It's not like, uh, well, first of all, it's optional. You don't have to do it. You can just keep beating them up while they're dizzy. Second, um, it's not it's not like quick time per se because like you have a substantial amount of time to do it if you want to. Right. And then third, it's really more of a reward for, you know, fighting well because... Uh, yeah, see that I'm, I'm cool with. Yeah, and it's like, it's, it's this very rewarding feeling where you're mashing the button and there's this almost one-for-one visual accompaniment where... He he does something crazy like spanks a woman or like uh, breaks a guy's neck over and over or like <laughs> just pummels him severely, which is like sort of this. Oh, speaking of pummeling f- severely, <laughs> you sent me this clip called "Hello, Mr. Samurai," which is you fighting a samurai. Yeah. And so like, and I just isolated the part where uh, the main character, I guess, yeah, who is Gene. Gene. He just gets him in the corner, and the sound of him kicking this guy against a wall over and over and over. <laughs> like, right. And then uppercuts him. Just juggles him. Yeah. Like, just the sound. I know that just sounds like this wall of noise, yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's like, that's the game. Yeah. And the, But, you know, obviously with the video element, it's not as uh, probably grating on the ears. Right. But just listening to the... Seeing this guy juggled probably a dozen times is yeah. just hilarious. I mean, it's it's almost more akin to, like, a Devil May Cry than it is to a final fight because mm. there's just so much crazy jive you can do and exploits. It's, and, like, right in between the two. Yeah, or almost like... It's almost like Street Fighter in some ways. You yeah, know? You and you sent me another clip, uh, just another example of how weird it is. This is the Mad Midget 5. Yeah. <laughs> so they look like legally distinct versions of certain... Uh, yeah, a certain group of uh, power colored rangers. Powerful rangers. Yes. Um, so I'll play this. Hey. 
<laughs> and he's just watching them do this pose. Yeah, that's also an awesome fight because you fight all five of them at once. Nice. And when you dizzy them for the bosses, they have uh, very specific dizzying rewards where you oh, hit okay. the circle. So right. for those guys, since they're like little dudes, you can uh, you do like an axe kick where you bring your heel down on yeah, them yeah. and it like hammers them into the ground. Wow! And then you can stomp on them. Wow! So well, I guess they're just like mini boss or a boss fight in the game. Ah, uh, they're sure. a boss fight. Yeah. Yeah. But um. Yeah, the game is just so full of these great moments, and um, the fighting is just so satisfying. Like you were saying, you can juggle guys like over and over and over. It's it's it really is like a satire of like an action game. Yeah, and then they sent me this other one, uh, which I think is just one of those classic Chris's blood kind of lines. <laughs> of uh, this is, I'm guessing Gene talking to this girl. I don't I don't know who this character is though. Is it this? Oh, uh, is it Olivia the with the blue yeah. outfit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, She's just kind of like your sidekick. So, uh, what base did he get to? <laughs> Don't worry, nothing happened. <laughs> Whew, that's what I thought. All right, so where's next? So where's next? Yeah. <laughs> I guess that's what you want. It's just like, where to next? What's next? Yeah, Why well, I mean, that whole, just that whole dialogue is funny. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, and just in terms of the design, you know, like, the, the game, it's funny because, like, it was famously misunderstood this game you know it didn't it obviously didn't have much of a budget because it's it's a weird title i think it was sort of a pet project for mikami but um you know it was panned for things like uh the camera clips through walls or like uh-huh. you can't jump or the animation when he runs looks weird well first of all the animation when you run is supposed to look weird it's 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 supposed to look comical right but um i mean it's just the when you Granted, there's a steep learning curve, but once you get over it, you realize just how much is going on. The it's game- it's one of those. I mean, to me, it's like how I kind of felt one day. I'll talk about PN3 on the yeah. show. It's like there are plenty of things to pick apart uh-huh. with a game like that, but it's so unlike anything else that right. I enjoyed it immensely because of how different it was. Yeah, similar yeah. with Beautiful Joe. Only that you know obviously fared better, but like. It just had a thing that like I couldn't compare it to another game. Right. So in the, in its in itself, to me that weighed very heavily. Yeah. Um. Even though then years later when we were filling in a backlog of reviews and I had to review P and three, I did not score particularly <laughs> high because like as a critical analysis, I can see why you know right. it's a hard. If I had to go spend money, I mean I yeah, obviously yeah. paid for it myself in two thousand three because I was not working anywhere in games yet but right right i can see why you know if i pointed someone at a game like that they'd be frustrated if they didn't know up front what they were getting themselves into right but then you know ask me personally yeah i thought pn3 was great yeah i mean it's certainly a niche game but yeah you know i feel like any flaws that it has are totally uh cosmetic you know right like the design itself is is super thought out you know and like the, the game demands constant strategic thought like it, it looks yeah. like this brainless action game. It's like that's why it gets compared to Final Fight, and that's why I don't like the Final Fight comparison because like yeah. you're constantly thinking, and like the game is like this. It's almost like RE4 in the sense that it's this constant exercise in uh, crowd control, uh-huh. you know. But there's no cheap that. shots, you know. Like the the no one will ever sneak up on you. It's all about like figuring out how to place yourself, how to use your surroundings, and how to like uh, sort of conserve. The, uh, the things that you have at your disposal like you have the god hand which is uh, it's sort of like a devil trigger where you build up a meter by attacking uh-huh. and then when you unleash it for a limited time you're I think you're invincible but you're also super fast and super strong and you like everything uh, chains together all your oh, attacks nice. chain together yeah. 
And then you have the roulette moves, which is uh, one of the most attractive things about the game, I think, is he has all these crazy special moves that like all have like awesome motion capture animations and right. like, does things like he'll pull a, a like a baseball bat out of nowhere and bl- like bat them out of the atmosphere yeah, <laughs> and stuff yeah. like that. I think I think that's another one I saw walking yeah, by was just where did he get a bat? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's that, that kind of game. It's just hokey. Yeah. So you sent me another line here. I'm not sure what I'm about to play because I haven't listened to it because I want to react. <laughs> Finally, a boss fight. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I just like that line. Is the God hand. Oh, that's rich. <laughs> so I guess that guy's the boss. Yeah. He, I, he, yeah, he, that's he, how, like, just that, a game that has a line like that is already, yeah. like, getting points in my book. There's some fourth wall breaking. There's some, uh, I mean, it's just, like I said, it's full of references to video games. And uh, moving a bit ahead. Yeah! I don't think you realize what you're getting yourself into, Pendel. I swear he's channeling Samuel Hung here. Flash, big guy. You can wax on, wax off all you like. I'm still kicking your ass. <laughs> it's like a total Dante line. Too. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> it's just I really should be playing this game. Yeah. I feel like I'm missing out. I was like the day that so like our digital sales guy who like yeah, gives yeah. me the PSN updates like right. he he dropped that on me like a bomb like the <laughs> like the day before it went up. On By PSN. the way, this is coming out tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's like, uh, he's like, I didn't even know about this, but uh, God Hand is coming out tomorrow on PSN. I'm like, I'm like, whoa, back up, whoa. <laughs> we need to start start the whole sentence. It's like, brother, you can't just drop that on me. You gotta explain this. <laughs> like, there wasn't even any PS2 games out on. Yeah, PSN. like we're gonna lead with God Hand. <laughs> so there's another one you gave me. Let's see what this one's all about. He's late. Why must fat and slow always apply to Elvis? <laughs> what? El- El- so Elvis is the name of that guy that we just saw. He's <laughs> <laughs> I see. Well, that's the guy from the intro. That oh, they talk Yeah, like yeah, this. that's the Jim Varney guy. He's a pack-a-day smoker. <laughs> he's sort of like the leader, and he's a devil or a demon. <laughs> Perdóname, I gotta be hungry and could barely move. <laughs> <laughs> and one more that you sent me right here. Mm, at last, our time has come. We shall dispose of this so-called savior and rain despair upon humankind. <laughs> That's a good laugh. <laughs> one more. <laughs> That arm is the god hand, right? Thanks to you guys, I've gotten to be quite popular with the hellish set. Hellish? I prefer super tropical. Your <laughs> arm is ours! What? That's okay. I That's bet you're not south. really popular in hell! Then <laughs> he runs away. What is super tropical? What? I think because it's like hot. Like right. <laughs> uh, Hyper tropical. <laughs> and they all run away. What the? So yes, God hand everybody. Yeah, um, there was a there was a great series of reviews that went up over the last few years. Mm. Um, there's so there's a site called ActionButton.net. I just got to give a little shout out to my buddy uh, Tim Rogers who runs the site. Um, and like I always liked God hand, but then uh, I started reading the reviews on his site. It's funny because it, it went from like this intellectual review site to like strictly a god hand appreciation site like so gradually that no one even noticed and like, there are like five different reviews up and he did this one video review that's just him like sort of waxing poetic on like all these metaphors for what god hand is like wow. and it's uh 
Yeah, I think maybe I'll push, post a link to that later. And one day you want to have a the, the God Hand stream to end all God Hands. Yeah, I'm going to try to get him on that as well. Yeah. No, that would be great to add an extra layer that even we are not perceiving. Because not only is he super knowledgeable and super good at the game, but he's a personal acquaintance of Shinji Mikami. Wow. So, so he uh, has like his go-to yeah, he uh, has, blessing. And, he has his blessing. Man, my throat's really just... I'm not even doing the voice right now. <laughs> like, I'm not kidding. <laughs> Sounds exactly like I, Yeah, I'm... Wow. It's time to end the show. But to take us out was uh, a song from, uh, from... I guess the credits song, which I looked up with paper... Uh, Kevin Smith with a B. I assume that's supposed to be Kevin. Probably Kevin. Kevin Smith from Panda No Panda doing this ending uh, song about God Hand. Oh, yeah. And it is a pretty amazing song, I gotta say. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty legendary. Yeah. So that, that song will take us out. And uh, thanks for listening. And again, the you know, Cap Community is site. Uh, hit us up in the forums. There'll be a thread about this episode. If you want to talk some more about QA, Sean will probably... Hop in there. We'll start doing some like questions of the week kind of stuff pretty soon for each episode, and like you know, get in the forums and read a couple, read your answers on the air, and do that kind of stuff so we can, can further the, the discussion. Right. Um, streams upcoming, so you can always check us out on Twitch TV. And finally, if you want to be part of that uh, the interview in the middle, um, just add the Capcom Unity uh, podcast as one of your groups that you follow on Unity. And then I can go through that list and see you know who's part of the group. Like you can add once you make an account on Unity. You can be, uh, wow, my voice, I really can't get over this. Um, you can be a fan of Resident Evil, a fan of Okami, a fan of Marvel vs. Capcom, mm-hmm. and you can get anything tagged to those in your Capcom unity feed. Same thing with the podcast. Um, so if you're a member of that group, I can go in and then I can send you a PM that says, hey, do you want to be on, uh, do this via Skype or we can do it via email or whatever? And uh, that's the way to get in on that. And uh, we usually schedule them for Monday or Tuesday in the e- in the early evening, like 5.30 or 6 uh, Pacific. Mm-hmm. And you can be part of the show that way. And again, thanks for Breakman for coming on. Thanks for Sean for coming on. And uh, we'll have another episode a couple weeks from now. And uh, I don't know what will be in that episode. But uh, I have some ideas. I have some discussions I'd still like to have. And uh, plus, maybe we'll have some news by then that we can, we can share. Yeah, talk to you guys later. See ya. My arm, 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 I summon up the powers of the God hand. Everybody wants a piece whose necks don't be a fool. Hyperactive fighting style so slick they will make you dream. God hand helps me work out my stress It's overpowering, I must confess The only person who it doesn't work on Is the girl who got me into this Olivia Slicing through thugs with my shockwave Shockwave! More beheadings than a guillotine Head slicer Head slicer My arm, my arm, my arm, my arm, 